on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. ESPN college basketball analyst Fran Fraschilla joins us for an interview. We talked to Fran about Lon Kruger, Mike Boynton. We recap the Elite Eight with him, and we preview the Final Four. We continue our breakdown of OU's roster by looking at the inside linebackers. We finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, April 1st, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC Difference Program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or a Raptor, and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordOfOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership, buy a new car, and tell them we sent you. Now, recording this on Wednesday night, please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know who you want us to try to get on this podcast. And this one, we've got Fran Fraschilla. All hoops, Ted. Hoops, Perfect. baby. I love it. It's going to be awesome. Get his perspective. We got our final four set, and it's an interesting group. We still have what looks like the best matchup. So, um, plus, we got a little bit of a, a wild card in there. It's hard to call UCLA a Cinderella with maybe the most national championships ever, but uh, it's a fun group. Can't wait to hear his thoughts on it. Yeah, it's going to be fun with our man Fran. Now, it is April Fool's Day, so everyone be vigilant. And by the time that some people are listening to this, Ted, we may know whether or not Michael Strahan actually did fill in his gap because I still don't believe it. It's <laughs> be fool's joke, right? Yeah, can't that can't be real? He is the the gap between his teeth. What? There, there's no way that happened. I still don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. Yeah, I I just don't understand why now. After all this time, it's like a defining characteristic of him. I don't know why after all this time he would do that. It's not like he's self-conscious about it. He knows that he's known for it. It maybe even got him uh, some of his gigs. I don't know, but it just seems such weird timing. I don't think he did it. 
He's like, he's so famous. He's more famous now than when he was an amazing NFL player. I mean, a Hall of Fame NFL player. He's on Good Morning America. There's no way he got rid of that gap. I refuse to believe it. Well, it's like Erlacher, who, you know, an unbelievable football player was had the shaved head and had the bald head forever gets hair implants after no one's ever even seen him with hair and he gets the implants to fix it later on. So I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Very weird. Midlife crisis for these guys. Maybe. I don't know. No, there's no No. way he did it. I refuse. (laughs) Okay. Let's get to the OU stuff. And this is your episode, Ted. This is, this is all you. This is all you because we're talking inside linebackers, baby. We're going to continue continue Can't our wait. OU roster breakdown with inside linebackers. Wanted to start here. Caleb Kelly. He is back for another year at this point. We should probably call him Dr. Kelly, right? He's been around <laughs> so long. But he has all the leadership qualities you want in a player. He's a fantastic locker room guy. Just is a great kid. He's had some really bad injury luck. Ted, I I just don't see how he really factors in at this position with how much talent they have now in the room. With the injuries he's had, he's a step slow, maybe two, maybe three steps slow from where he was as a young player at OU. And sometimes injuries just add up, man, and and you're just not the same. And I kind of think that's where Caleb Kelly's at now. Yeah, it's been so difficult. You know, whenever you miss so much football, forget the injury. It's just hard to be away from the game. Everyone else has been getting better day in, day out, uh, working on their skills, um, you know, going through individual drill and and doing tough one-on-ones against the offense and being coached up. I mean, you know this. It's There's a difference between being in a meeting – a position meeting and watching film and watching the other guys and watching yourself. It's hard to pay attention. If you're never going to be up on the screen, you just, you're just never as locked in. It's not the same. He's missed so much time. And that's, that's just one factor. The other factor is we are so much better at inside linebacker than we were two, three years ago, as far as depth, that, you know, even whenever, and I'm not saying that he, he wouldn't play, but even at, like at his best, healthy, 100%, there's no guarantee that, that he's a starter then either. That's how good we've gotten at this position and how deep we are, which says a lot about, you know, some of the development, development that we've had from, from previous guys and some of the good young talent that they've brought in. Yeah, it's just... It's just a tough situation for Caleb Kelly. I I really don't expect him to factor in much. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be a leader in the locker room, that he's you know not going to be a good presence for this team. I just I look at the rest of this room, Ted, and I, I just don't see it for him. Okay, so let's start with Deshaun White, right? kind of the veteran in the group, has played a lot of football for this team. And did some good things last year, has has certainly improved. When I look at his athleticism compared to some of the other guys in this position room, 
I think he might be the worst athlete, and I know that's harsh, but I I don't think his athleticism is near what Asamoah is or Aguebu's is or Shane Witter, certainly not in the same stratosphere as that kid. But I think what he lacks in elite athleticism, he makes up with, with just being smart and understanding the scheme and anticipating well and just being in the right spot. So he's going to have to continue to do that, right? He's going to have to continue to be in the right spots and really diagnose what's going on from the opposing offenses to stay on the field. He's, he's had a great spring so far. And it's interesting because he's flying around. He's, he's all over the place. He's being aggressive. He's attacking. And because he's playing like that, he doesn't look like he's a, little, a step slower than the rest of the guys because of the way that he's playing. We talk about, you know, um, you play fast whenever you know what you're doing. And some guys, sometimes really fast guys, it doesn't translate to the field. Well, right now he's playing really well. And it's, it's, he does not look like he's the cerebral guy and he's not the athlete, but you know, he's, he's getting out there cause he knows what he's doing. It looks like he's got everything with the way that he's playing. It's interesting. This is the first time in a long time that he's not a number one. And when you're not a number one, all of a sudden you look around and it's like, dang, what happened? What, what the why, hell's going on here? I'm, I'm supposed to be a starter. That's supposed to be my job. And you find yourself in a predicament where all of a sudden you're faced with the the thought of not playing, not being a, sp- a starter, losing your position. And whenever that happens, it'll light a fire. And apparently he's he started off camp right now like, like he's got a fire uh, firmly lit beneath him. Yeah, I was uh, asking a few guys about who's kind of standing out and everyone I talked to to Sean White was the first guy they mentioned hey he's had a hell of a two weeks mm-hmm. and you're right we we talk about competition raising everyone's level of play Ted we mentioned that all the time on here and that is a perfect example no one wants to be the guy that started multiple years and then lost his spot as a senior no one wants to be that guy. It's tough, and, uh, yeah. Deshaun White certainly doesn't want to be that guy. Uh, another guy that started a ton of games for OU last year, Brian Asamoah. He is about as explosive as they get at that position. Uh, just such an explosive player. When he is decisive, man, is he fun to watch. He can certainly get out of control at times. Certainly looks a little lost at times, Ted, when you look at what he did last year and kind of looking towards this spring and what's on the horizon for him, where, where do you think he needs to improve the most? I'll, I'll first start by saying that I think he is a fantastic player and the sky is the limit. Um, he got a chance to be the best linebacker in the Big 12. And that's saying something. There's some really good players in the Big 12. Uh, Wallows back at TCU. Uh, Mike Rose, the gigantic uh, dude at Iowa State, is back. So it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. I think he needs to work on 
technique, trusting the technique. I think he needs to to work on being more consistent. You mentioned that uh, he'll flash and he's explosive player. He's just he's got to work on being able to carry that over game in, game out, practice in, practice out, and not have the peaks and valleys. He's got to be trusted, reliable, know that he's going to be there, and the bad plays got to be way better. You know, the good plays are going to be what they are. Like, whenever he sees it, knows it, uh, knows beforehand what's about to happen and pulls the trigger, there's no one better. He's just got to he's got to bring the the level of the plays that aren't like that up. And I think he's going to do it. I really do. Uh, he's got all of the athletic tools. He's got a good wealth of experience behind him. No longer is he worried about learning the defense. Now it's about learning to play linebacker, learning the techniques, uh, you know, working those tools and trusting those tools. Sometimes the technique of, of linebacker, it's sure it's the same at offensive line, goes counter to what your instincts are trying to tell you to do. And one of the you just have to relearn that, make the, the weird become the habit and second nature. And I think he's well on his way of doing that. Yeah. He, he's an impressive player, man. He, he really is. And now it's time. It is time to talk about your guy. All 6'4 and 250 pounds of him to David Aguebu. In, in all seriousness, uh, he couldn't look any better in New Jersey. There, mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. He did do some good things last year, but at times you could see the wheels spinning a little bit a little slow to react, which is completely understandable with how new he was to the inside linebacker position. Ted, I thought he did some really good things as a blitzer, but now he's got to take another step, right? He's got to play faster. He's got to process faster. He's got to be more disciplined with his eyes. And certainly I assume that improving his coverage skills and his understanding of coverage is a big emphasis for him in the spring, but he, he's got all the tools, man. Yeah. Well, you know, w- once he figures out some of those you know, cover, zone dropping, zone coverages for linebackers, is it's one of those things that there's so much feel to it and understanding routes and understanding space and, and having a, an idea of what's going on behind you while you have your eyes on the quarterback and and knowing where you fit on the field and where your landmarks are, you know, if you're a hook dropper, you're, you're at 12 to 14 yards, um, you know, a yard inside the hash or two yards inside the hash, whatever they tell them the landmark is you, you have to be able to get to that spot without looking at that spot and knowing where it is, based on where the football is, you know, if you're on a hash mark that changes and it takes a long time to really get a great feel for that stuff and relating to, to wide receivers and everything. So that takes some time that's going to come, but he gets a much bigger margin for error than most guys do just because of his, his reach, his size, how difficult it is to throw over him being six, four long arm guy that can, you know, just get in the way and looks huge out there to a quarterback. It's like, what is that out there in zone covers? Is that a, 
uh, LeBron James out there. So sorcery, right? It, it it it's it's a huge advantage that he has, and he's going to get he's going to get comfortable. He's a he's a big guy. He's heavy handed, which makes him good in the box. But here's the thing: it, it, you could be six four two fifty. I've played with guys that are really big, really strong linebackers, and they can be really easy to block because there's a lot of surface area there. I've also played with guys that are 5'10", 5'11", 220 pounds, and play so low and are so explosive, they'll flat back a 300-pound guard whenever they come up to the next level because of technique. So all I'm saying is if you don't – just because you're big, that's good if you still play with great pad level and great technique, and those are things that he's still learning. All of that to say that the guy we see come September is going to be a completely different guy than what we saw last year. The amount of snaps, remember, did not have a spring ball last year, had a weird training camp, a weird summer. The amount of reps and walkthroughs and uh, run fit drills and video time and meeting time that he will have had since last season is going to be amazing, going to be a totally different player. He's got a chance to go from, wow, he may turn into a good player, to, oh, my God, who is that guy playing Mike Backer for Oklahoma? Yeah, I think that's why everyone's just so excited about his potential. Now, another guy that I just keep hearing about and it's only been a couple of weeks of spring ball, right? But all the coaches are talking about Shane Witter. And this this kid's upside is crazy. And you mentioned he's the type of guy, not the biggest guy in the world, kind of has some of that natural leverage, right? Round six one-ish or so. But I've had multiple people tell me that not only is he the fastest guy in the inside linebackers room, that he is quite possibly the fastest guy on the entire football team. Yeah, This kid is just a freak athlete. Now, the game hasn't quite slowed down for him just quite yet, and that's understandable, right? You, you mentioned the weird offseason, the weird training camp, everything that was working against Witter, who was a freshman last year. He's got some work to do understanding the scheme, but when you look at the physical tools, the physical gifts, Ted, this kid's going to be out there on the field quite a bit. Yeah. It's amazing because the level of play all around defensively, but tonight we're talking specifically inside linebacker, is so, so much higher than it was a couple of years ago that we're talking about a kid that's a linebacker that is – he's not that small. He's 6'1", 225, which in this conference is probably about average and maybe even a little bit bigger. Maybe it's just because we talked about him right after Aguebu, so I had well, no, no, know, the monster in my head. <laughs> no, the, you know, Odom, the linebacker coach, is, is you know saying the same thing. He's got to get bigger. And I'm sitting here saying, like, you don't want him that big. I mean, it, you know, it's you you can hit a point of diminishing return. Now, obviously, he's young; he's going to put on weight. But we're talking about a guy that is 
again, heavy-handed, can absolutely fly, can make a ton of plays. He's, he's, he's batting down a ton of balls in zone coverage. And we're talking about him that he may be good, really good at some point. Not very long ago, this kid would already be starting, you know, just because we wouldn't have the depth there and he'd be thrown to the wolves. But now he's going to learn from guys. Everyone in the room has a really good understanding of the defense already. So he's, he's, he's learning how to play linebacker right now instead of trying to learn a defense like everyone else is in the room. It just changes everything. And I think it's healthy for him. But, you know, by the time we get to midseason next year, Shane Witter is going to be seeing a lot of time, in my opinion. I, I think that he, he has a chance to be an absolute stud, absolute, just total freak, unbelievable player. And, you know, I was, I, I was talking with, with Odom about him a little bit, and he, he's so fast that you almost worry about him overrunning stuff sometimes because he's, he's, he's flying so fast. And, you know, there's, there's a difference between running full speed and pursuing full speed. If that makes sense, whenever you're running full speed, you got the chest up, you're lifting, you're pumping the arms, you're really stretching the stride out and you're going top speed. There's a difference between that and pursuing someone where you've still got to maintain a sense of balance you still have to even though you're not low you've got a low mindset and you're tracking the hip mindset so he's he's still raw and he has to learn the difference between running full speed and pursuing full speed and the difference between that is so razor thin it's it's just almost a mindset more than it is anything but he's going to be he has all the tools. He's got a great coach. He's got a great system. He's going to have a really good defensive line in front of him, a good secondary behind him. He's going to have all the tools there in order to, to do whatever it is he wants to do at the position. Yeah, they're really excited about that kid. Now, two guys who are in the room and are a little bit lost in the shuffle, maybe because Joseph Wete – Moves from outside backer to inside backer. Uh, he, he's leaned up. The, I checked the roster. He's listed at 226 pounds. So, he was like 265 eight months ago. So <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but all right. But uh, that we, we talked about it with the Guaybu last year, right? That's a difficult transition. And when you've got that much talent at the position in that room, I'm just not sure how much he will factor in. And also you got Jamal Morris right? Was a safety is a backer Ted, we've talked about Jamal Morris. That guy looks the part, but being inexperienced at the position, he's going to have to do things to stand out. So do you see either of these guys, Wete and Morris kind of factoring in to the rotation? I, I know that there's still a lot of spring ball to be had, but man, it seems difficult for guys that if they're not if they're not processing things quickly, if they're not really making big gains, especially from a mental standpoint, that it's just going to be hard to get on the field. It is. You know, they've, they've got, I think, nine guys in the room. 
And not only do you have really good depth at both the Mike and Will uh, spots, you've got guys that can play multiple positions. You've got uh, Deshaun White that is comfortable at both Mike and the Will. I think Witter's playing uh, both the Mike and the Will. Um, you got a guy like uh, Meade plays both the Mike and the Will. So there's a lot of position carryover between the two. You're coming in uh, raw, having not played the position. You got a lot of catching up to do. And he's a big, he's, he's, I don't know that he's as, as tall as a Guaybu, but it's close. The two guys, whenever they came in together and were playing that edge position, they, they were really, really close body size, body frame to each other. So uh, I think Wete just has to really focus this spring on getting up to speed with everyone as far as understanding the defense and, and learning some of the techniques. And then it's just going to be a take it day by day, week by week, and continue to improve. And you never know what's going to happen with that that situation in front of you. And, you know, I, it, it's going to be hard to get on the field, but you can still be a factor on the football team. I would say it's going to probably be next spring before he really starts to work in or, or even have a chance to work in and uh, see any significant amount of reps and kind of the same thing for Jamal Morris. And here's the other thing. We also have a backer that's not on campus yet and won't be here till June in Danny Stutzman, who is, is going to play the mic most likely, but would pl- probably play Will too. It just kind of depends what it looks like there. And he's going to be a guy. It's going to be added to the mix. And Coach Odom is going to expect him to be working into the rotation right away in, tra- in training camp. So you're going to be adding another guy to the mix. So it's it's a tough room right now, which is a good thing in a sense that we're really getting top-level play at the top, but it's it's a frustrating thing for guys down the, the roster a little bit because, man, it's it's becoming really difficult to get on the field. Yeah, and for our call-your-shot question, I asked our listeners who they thought was going to merge from the inside linebackers room and – at Boomer Sooner Four on Twitter is kind of agreeing with you. He said Stutzman will be too good to keep off the field at some capacity. I also love our starters, but I think he can actually beat out White, him, and Witter both, even though he is coming in later this summer. So some high expectations. Also, our man the wizard is checking back in, Ted at OU yeah. underscore Morgan on Twitter says I know Aguebu is what people are saying, and I get it, but man, Asamoa has the speed, twitch, and instincts. If he can take his game game up another notch, he'll be all Big 12 and possibly all American. And then he signs it with the wizard emoji, which he's earned. He has earned. He, he is the wizard of he this is. podcast. Hey, but, I'll say this real quick. Whenever you're talking about Stutzman, now he's just going to be a true freshman, but he's he's going to be 230-ish. Uh, maybe a little bit bigger by the end of summer, but he's also like six three and a half, six three and three quarters, and so he's almost as long as Aguebu. He's eventually going to be the same size, and he's faster. So, um, well, that's terrifying gonna, in the best way. Be, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there with Stutzman. I'm excited. Well, there's your breakdown of the inside linebackers on OU spring roster. Okay, let's get to our interview with Fran Fischilla. But first, 
First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And guys, spring is here and you know what that means. It's hard seltzer season, baby. Yeah, they're back, Ted. They're back. Yes. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It would be perfect for Easter. Let's be real. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. I dare you to try the mango guava and say it's not incredible. Man, it's been a while. It's been a while. I got to get the word incredible. Incredible. There it goes. <laughs> Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. All right, here's Fran Frischilla. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that is quite possibly the best analyst. <laughs> I'll say he is. He's the best analyst in all of college basketball. I call him the godfather of the Big 12 Conference. He also is the father of the most loved walk-on in the history of Oklahoma basketball. Fran Frischilla is in the house. What's up, Fran? I'm doing great, man. It's great to see you. It's great to see you, Gabe. Everything's great. Uh, crazy time of the year. You know, we got college basketball Final Four this weekend, and uh, uh, James is on a – let's see, where are they? They beat the Clippers last night, the lowly Orlando Magic. They're trying to get a top-five pick. They're trying to get Kate Cunningham. So they're not supposed to be winning games, but they beat the Clippers last night. And uh, when I checked, out, checked with him this morning, he was on his way to New Orleans. They're going to play the Pelicans tomorrow tonight, or tomorrow night, but he told me to tell you hello. Yeah, James, uh, James and I were at OU together. He is one of my favorite human beings, and that's how <laughs> – I kind of got to know you, Fran, and then we, we've done some SiriusXM radio together. I, I did yeah. want to start here. Uh, Lon Kruger, you you know yeah. him well, obviously, with James playing for him at Oklahoma. Desires, yeah. Decides to retire after 45 years in coaching. You, you know him well. What was your reaction when you heard that Lon was calling it a career? Well, I wasn't surprised, uh, Gabe. There's a lot of things going on in Lon's life. Uh, first of all, uh, his son, Kevin, was named a new coach at UNLV, where he played for his dad, as you guys know, before dad came to OU. The other thing was uh, I, I was Googling stuff on Lon Kruger before an OU game recently. I'm always looking, Teddy, for new stuff, you know. And uh, I came across this article in the Las Vegas Sun Journal you know, former UNLV coach Juan Kruger building a home on Southern Highlands Golf Course. And he had previously had a home and then he sold it. But he had always told us that he was heading back to Vegas after he was done. But uh, I had a feeling it was coming. You know, I think Coach Kruger's 68 now. He's, uh, he's had an amazing career. Uh, Kevin's taken over at UNLV. He can be a grandfather again. He can play golf out there. 
So very happy for him that he walked away. He did an amazing job in 10 years. And uh, yeah, now the key is for Joe C to find the next Juan Kruger, which he's, you know, busy doing. What do you think of the Oklahoma job? You know, there's obviously there's a, there's a tradition of success. Lon recently takes the program to a, a final four. We've had some really good players through some homegrown players that turned into, you know, NBA all-star types, but yeah. from like the outside looking in, what's the perception of the, of this program? Well, I think first of all, Teddy, because it's uh, it's a, it's a winning program and maybe the best basketball league in the country over the last seven years or so it's perceived to be a good job. I'm a former Ohio state Buckeye and, uh, and I, I think being a basketball coach at a football power is actually great. Um, if you look at Rick Barnes at Clemson, Texas, now Tennessee, Billy Donovan, you know, you guys know Billy well from his time with the Thunder, Billy at Florida. When you're the basketball coach at a football school, you have to embrace football. You have to check your ego at the door. You're going to get a lot of facilities built. You're going to have a great salary. You're going to have to win on occasion and, and win more than occasionally, but you're not going to have the same pressure that a Lincoln Riley or a, or a, a Ryan Day or, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, now Steve Sarkeesian has a Texas. So I actually think it's a great job. Uh, I, I think OU is a great job. You've got a great AD, maybe the best in the country, and Joe, and winning tradition. Um, and so, you know, as long as you don't come in with some big ego, like you're going to be bigger than football. And I say that, I'm not just saying that because you guys are, you know, it's your podcast. You just have to embrace the, the magnitude of what Oklahoma football means. And Lon did that easily because he has no ego. And Kelvin did it as well. Those guys love being in a football school. You know the program well, and I, you, you've never shied away from – sharing your opinion on who you think is a good fit when a job is open. So, right, Brand, who do you think are a couple names that make sense <laughs> for the OU job? I have to be careful because I've talked to Joe C. in the last couple of days. <laughs> so, Gabe, I, I don't know that I can tell you exactly who, okay? But I would tell you this, okay? Here's how I'll let you guys figure out the puzzle. It's got to be someone with integrity, okay? Because that's just how Joe rolls. Um, it's got to be somebody, uh, you know, I was talking to, I was talking to Joe yesterday and I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, you know, like there are some football and basketball coaches that you and I, you, you guys and I have been around and maybe not at OU, but maybe in your other journeys, like some, some basketball coaches play, remember the game battleship? You just guess, yeah. right? D four, yeah. you're hoping for a hit. There are some basketball and football coaches that just guess. They're not really sure what the defensive coverage is. We're just going to call a play. And then there's other coaches that play chess. Okay. And, you know, most, most good coaches in basketball and college football play chess. And then you have some grandmaster chess masters, right? Like a Lincoln Riley calling plays, for example. Joe's got to find a grandmaster. And they're out there. You know, they are out there. It's got to be somebody that uh, can take your team and beat his and take his team and beat yours. It doesn't matter how good your talent is. He can out coach you. So that's the next thing. It's got to be somebody with enthusiasm. It's got to be somebody with energy. And so I think they're out there, but I just can't give you an idea of like which specific guys might be on the radar. Well, I, well, you could give us an idea, <laughs> yeah, Fran, but you just won't. <laughs> Listen, 
Last time I, I was get at, it. I get it. What's that place? What's that place? Inter Interurban. Oh yeah. And yeah. so la- hey, last time I was in town, Joe took me to Interurban. He paid for the meal, so I'm not going to give up that opportunity to get a, another Smart free man. meal at Red at Red at Red Rock at Red Rock Canyon Grill or something like that. No way. Well, <laughs> I'll throw a name at you that a lot of people are talking about just Go to ahead. see what what you what you think. Okay, um, a, a lot of has had a great run in the last five years. Final Four, Elite Eight, two Sweet Sixteens, and probably would have done the same exact thing if they would have had the tournament last year is Dana Altman out of Oregon has a history with long Kruger. And I'm sure yeah. long Kruger would, would vouch for him. You know, he's lawn is his mentor. Um, I don't know why he'd want to leave Oregon as good as he's got right. It going right now, but a lot of people have tried to connect that name with Oklahoma. Great coach, Teddy. And he's from Nebraska. You know, he's, uh, um, he's got a history in the old big eight, certainly. And he, and of course his history with Lon. A tremendous name, tremendous coach. You got to get him leaving not only the University of Oregon, you got to, I'm trying to try to move my screen here, but you got to get him leaving Phil Knight and Nike. That's right. You know, because Nike and Phil Knight are very powerful for both law, excuse me, for both Dana and the University of Oregon. So, and at this stage of his career, I bet, I bet Dana's probably 60, 61. I'm guessing. I don't know why he would pick up and leave. Uh, a situation where he's got everything, you know, he's got it all set up for him to, to come here and uh, do exactly here what he's already doing and probably getting paid well. I love the name. I think he's a tremendous coach, but I don't see it, even though I could see it, I don't see him doing it. Cross Dana Altman off the list. Good job, Ted. Good question. <laughs> okay, I, I don't want to put you in a bad spot, Fran, so, I, I, but... I did want to ask you about Mike Boynton because yeah. since yes. he got that job, you have been going to bat for him. You've been telling people that he was going to be a great coach in the Big yeah. 12. He gets a seven-year extension. What What do you think about Oklahoma State locking him up long-term with that deal? Seems like a smart move for the Cowboys. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Gabe. I One of the things I love about my job in the Big 12 is I've watched kids grow up, right? I, I saw Buddy Heald as a freshman. I was like, ooh, maybe. Could be pretty good. Of course, he turned out to be National Player of the Year. I've seen Javon Carter. I've seen Devontae Graham. I watched these guys. It's not, not, it's not any different when you see a freshman linebacker or wide receiver who's getting some minutes, and you go, boy, someday this guy's going to be a stud. And with Mike, um, I, I knew Mike from New York. We're from the same part of New York, you know, Brooklyn. I knew his, I knew his whole background. The guy's got – the it factor. And when Mike Holder decided to give him the reins full time four years ago, I thought it was a gutsy move by the athletic director. But at the time I thought, well, Mike Boynton's no different than an NBA lottery pick, you know, like uh, you could tell the talents there. It's just the experience wasn't there. And he really grew into the job. If you really notice, he doesn't make, he, he embraces the Oklahoma state culture. Mr. Mr. Iba, Eddie Sutton, you know, he, he embraces the Stillwater community in a way some other coaches recently haven't. Uh, I, I love Travis Ford. I don't think Travis embraced being in Stillwater. You know, for a city kid, Mike has done that great. So he's embraced the Oklahoma State family and culture, and then he can coach and he can recruit. And I thought this year was the culmination of that. 
And I thought it was smart to lock him up, honestly. Uh, he's going to lose Cade Cunningham, a big loss. But I thought they have some pretty feisty young players with which to build around going forward. Well, the Texas job is open, too. So we've got, yeah. we got a, a lot of stuff rolling around in the Big 12. Um, it's a fascinating job. They've had a, a wealth of talent come through there, some NBA players, some really athletic kids. Didn't work with, with Shaka Smart. Uh, you know, I, we could get into reasons why it did or didn't, but it's still a, a really good job. Chris Beard at Texas Tech's been linked to it. Royale Ivy, former player who's got Kevin Durant in, in his corner. What do you think is going to happen at Texas? Good question, Teddy. You know, uh, good names. You know, does Chris Beard leave the South Plains where he's got everything set up for him? to go to a place where he, you know, he was a student manager there. It wasn't like he was a great player, like a, like a Royal Ivy, but he's got way more head coaching experience in college. You know, um, it, it's similar to OU in that you have to embrace football. I also think that uh, there's been a reputation there, and I don't know if it was like this on the football side. You guys went up against some good teams, but uh, I always felt like Texas in recent years, um, it's a country club, you know, it's a country club. Uh, yes. <laughs> here, here we yes. go. Boom. And, and so the guy that comes in there has to be, he's got to be tough and hard-nosed. And they've got to turn that country club, the 40 Acres Country Club, into a place where the fans embrace the team because they don't really embrace the team right now. They don't really draw well. They know that. I'm not speaking out of school. I've said this on the air. And if they get the right guy in there with some toughness, and they can build that, you know, the, get the kind of guys that like Royale Ivy was, you know, that, that was back in your uh, era, Teddy, you know. Well, how does um, shock, that seems like that shock of smart to a T, right? The toughness, I, the grit. I, I don't know. I, I, shock is a close friend. I think what happened with Shaka was he got away from the guys that were at VCU with him, mm -hmm. the, the discarded guys, the not heavily recruited guys. And, you know, he, he was able to get some uh, one-and-done guys who really just had – they never had two feet in the circle. They always had one foot out the door. And I thought this year's team, when they were good, they had some junkyard dog in them, you know. So it's a really good job. Um, but I'm not leaving a great job to go there from a head coach somewhere else. I think they ought to take a chance on an up-and-comer – I love Grant McCaslin at North Texas. I love Joey Golding out of uh, Abilene Christian, Paul, Paul Mills. I, I think I would give it to one of those guys before, or maybe a former player like Royale Ivy, before I would go get Chris Beard and pay his big buyout and then pay him 25 or $30 million. And He's I was giving Chris. us the Oklahoma list there, Gabe. That's what that list was. Okay. Yeah. For His Island. subtle way of doing it. I, <laughs> we're picking up what you're putting down, Fran. Well done, sir. <laughs> Don't tell so, Joe. <laughs> so be, before we talk about, you know, some of those Elite Eight games and kind of preview yeah. the Final Four, Fran, yeah. you cover the Big 12 as close as anybody does. Were you surprised at the lack of success? that the conference had in the tournament, only sending one team to the Elite Eight in Baylor. Now, Baylor's going to the Final Four, but yeah, you and I have talked about this league being very deep, but we'd also talked about Baylor being really the only elite team. So were you that surprised yeah. that they didn't have more teams make deeper runs? No, no, Gabe, because uh, uh, first of all, I think 
everybody but Texas got out of the first round, I think. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that nobody got beat when they weren't shouldn't get beat except for Texas. Once you get to 32 or 16, it's a total crapshoot. Um, it, it's not really indicative of your whole year. You know, I, I honestly believe that. Now, I also think what happens, I swear this happens, is you get so worn down playing each other when, it, when the league is so good that I, I think it takes a little bit out of you going into the NCAA tournament. When I talked to Scott Drew the night they got beat by Oklahoma State in the semifinals, he wasn't happy that they lost, but he did say to me, it was a Friday, he said, because of COVID, we're finally going to be able to really practice for four or five or six days the way we couldn't when we had the three-week hiatus, eight guys had COVID, and then when they did come back off of COVID, they had to play four games in eight days. So uh, that's not an excuse. I just think that when you play in a rough-and-tumble league, it really takes a lot out of you, and that happens to the Big 12 on occasion. But really, when you get to the when you get to the NCAA tournament, a lot of times it's just two pretty good teams, evenly matched, and it's sometimes the luck of the draw. What's it like as a coach, you know, trying to on the fly? And I know you. There's probably a lot of work goes into it before the tournament as to some potential teams that you're going to have to play, but kind of learning on the fly who it's going to be and especially if it's a team that does something a little bit unique or the right. press team or something like that. Can that be really difficult in those, those quick turnaround games? It is. It is Teddy. The other thing that's difficult is you're seeing officials. Sometimes you haven't seen all year and they don't know how you play, you know, and if you, you know, like the big 12 or the sec or the big 10, it's like a neighborhood, right? You know, when you grow up in a neighborhood and you're playing with the same guys and everybody knows everybody, when you get out of the neighborhood, it does change. Yeah, it, it's one of the reasons Syracuse usually has success in the tournament because a lot of teams don't see that 2-3 zone. Uh, you don't see a lot of that. So um, absolutely, when you play, you know, the, the greatest thing about the NCAA tournament is just the preparation for the different styles of play. And in a normal, in a normal year, you're all, you only have to play two games in one weekend. So it's like a four-team tournament. It's you, the, your opponent – and then one of the other two teams that are in your bracket. So it's basically a four-team tournament. You're going to play two games if you win. So styles of play definitely matter. And, you know, the mindset of playing some of these underdog teams that we've seen, you know, like you, uh, when my team, and this is a little, a little bit before both of your time, Teddy, I'm not sure where you were in 95, but when my team beat Oklahoma at Manhattan College, we played the very first game of the tournament on Thursday. And I think it was an 11.30 start in Memphis. And I told my team, I swear I said this, whoever wakes up, whoever wakes up better will have the advantage. Because college kids love to sleep. And I said to my guys, we are going to wake up Thursday morning and kick their ass. And, and we, we kind of did. You know, I, I developed a friendship with Kelvin because he's such a ball coach. He appreciated my team. I mean, he was upset that he lost. But my point is, like, the, the NCAA tournament is a different animal. It's mental. It's Cinderella's and David and Goliath's. It's, you know, referees, refereeing a different style. That's why it's so much fun. Okay. So you mentioned the officiating. Yeah. But you brought it up, Fran. <laughs> why is the officiating so shitty in the tournament, man? I, I just don't. I mean, it's bad call after bad call, yeah. bad yeah. offensive foul after bad offensive foul. I mean, why is it? Is it just me or is it just bad? It's, it's just bad, right? 
I think it's not bad. I think it's just, it, again, everybody has to adjust in the tournament. These officials are, are these officials advance to the next round based on whether they're blowing the whistle the way the supervisor of the whole tournament officiating is telling them to. So, you know, and oftentimes they don't want to blow every whistle. They don't, they hate the block charge call. You know, they're not used to styles of play. Some guy that's refereeing on the East coast is seeing, you know, um, trying to think of a team in the big 12 that's physical, you know, like the guard play of Baylor. They're not used to that. So I, I would say it's not shitty as much as it's inconsistent game to game. And now there are some shitty officials and <laughs> who make bad calls, but by and large, it's more inconsistency than it is shittiness. Quick break. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com, and tell them we sent you. Also, make sure you stop by Riverwind. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And for March's Kitchen Cash-In, all wildcard members that earn 500 points on their wildcard playing AGS machines will win a Continental Stand Mixer. Let's go. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Okay, back to the interview. Well, that's like the end of a game. Yeah. Sometimes in, 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 there's inconsistency with fans, too, because sure. you'll hear people say, well, it's the end of a game. You don't yeah. want that call to decide the game. You're going to let them play a little bit more. But then if they do let them play a little bit more on that scrum in the paint, it's like, why the hell aren't they calling that right there? That's a foul. So yeah, I don't, it's a tough job, but I, well, I guess. See that, well, let me tell you, Teddy, here's how I always felt about this. A foul's a foul. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're, if you're letting a little contact go early in the game, you got to be consistent at the end. But if I foul you going to the basket, I foul you. And this happened in the Baylor, uh, a UConn women's game. I mean, right. that girl got fouled four different times by two players. They fouled her high. They fouled her low. I mean, come on. That was a 15 yard penalty. Okay. Right. And so 
what happened was what happens is like, okay, if I foul you go into the basket, you're trying to make the winning basket. I've decided the game by fouling you. Mm-hmm. See, they say, let the, don't let the officials decide the game. Let the players decide it. But if you got an advantage on me and I foul you and you should be two, shoot two free throws and there's no call, to me, I did decide the game by fouling you. I've always felt that way as a coach. Blow the whistle. Don't penalize a guy for being so fast he gets by the defender and now you're going to bail out the defender because he whacks the guy going to the basket. Oh, we didn't want the officials to decide the game. A foul's a foul to me. And that's where I think fans missed the boat because let's face it. What's why is what's fans short for, short for fanatic. Mm-hmm. And I, I get this on Twitter all the time uh, about Oklahoma fans think the officials stink. Oklahoma state fans in the same game think the officials stink. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I like officials personally. They're way better than I thought they were when I was coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. They hey, are. I'll give you an example. Hold on. Like when, hey Teddy, when when a guy like Gabe, right? When you're going to, this happens a lot. You're, you know, a, a running back breaks free, and he's turned into corner on the out. He's, 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 he, you know, the, the edge hasn't been set, and you're you're chasing him down, and some offensive lineman like Gabe pulls your pulls your jersey from behind, mm-hmm. and you're trying to reach for the guy you can't tackle, him, and the official and obvious holding misses it. And the guy goes for 39 yards. That, that'll piss you off. It, well, I'll tell you this. It's the most consistent officiated uh, <laughs> play in the world. I'll just tell you right now, they don't ever call it. No official ever, <laughs> ever, ever calls holding. That's because why that, do you think Gabe was so good? That why scenario think- <laughs> never has happened. An offensive lineman would never do that to a linebacker, guys. Brent, Brent, yeah. I did, I, I did want to talk about these Elite Eight games with you because yes. I, I know uh, saw you tweeting about them. So Baylor, Arkansas, wanted to start yeah. there. Uh, Arkansas, yeah. they did seem like a good matchup athletically for Baylor, yeah. but. Baylor's just too good. Uh, probably wouldn't have been as close as it was if Davion Mitchell wouldn't have gotten that foul trouble right. in the first half. But when you and I talked about Big 12 basketball before the season even start, you you told me that Baylor was a Final Four team. They were good enough to win it all. And yeah. now they're there. How hot, How happy are you for your buddy Scott Drew? And how impressive yeah. has Baylor been? Well, it's crazy. Um, I'm going to say something that sounds ludicrous, but they're about 85, 90% of what they were before COVID. I mean, they're in the final four. They've had some good wins in the tournament, but they're not the same team. They, uh, 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 Jared Butler is not quite as good as he was. I, I do think they're still catching up on the COVID cycle here, but obviously good enough to go to the final four. And they, they're certainly good enough to beat Houston. Um, they, were in a, they were in a nice little street fight against Arkansas. You know, Eric Musselman is a tough guy, former NBA coach. Dad was a great coach. And I thought they brought it, you know, and you're right. You know, Davion Mitchell's three fouls in the first half hurt Baylor a little bit, but I thought that was a quality win for Scott Drew. And it is now officially, and I was cheering on this guy 10 years ago when people were killing me about Scott Drew, but this is now close to being the greatest college basketball rebuilding job of all time. They had no tradition. They Scott Drew took over in, an, in the midst of not only an NCAA investigation, but during the murder of one player of another on a team. And uh, the only thing that I've had people tell me it compares to is 
what Coach Snyder did at Kansas State when he got there in the late 80s. It's an amazing rebuilding job. And uh, I thought Scott Drew was crazy, Gabe, to take the job when he did. But he's the, or ter- he's the eternal optimist. And he turned that place into a, a really fun story. How about Houston? You know, there's a lot of people that maybe aren't giving them the credit that they deserve because of the path hasn't maybe been what everyone thought it was going to be with some of the teams that they've played, but yeah, my goodness, what a scrappy team defensively and they can rebound, man. Yeah. No question. Uh, Teddy, I'm, I'm a huge Kelvin Sampson fan. You know, I'm a, I'm a friend. I'm a, I'm a close friend. I'm a huge fan. He made some mistakes, you know, in recruiting don't seem like a big deal. Now, extra calls, extra texts, whatever. He paid the price. Five-year show cause order. He had to go to the NBA. Um, and I asked him last year, you guys will love this. His father was his mentor, high school coach for 40 years. You may remember the story. And about a month before his father died, Kelvin was out in L.A. with the Rockets. And they, he always called his dad after every game. And they beat, the, they beat the Clippers, I think. And he talked to his dad late that night. His dad was back in North Carolina. And he, he said to dad, what'd you think? Good win, right? He goes, yeah, it's a good win. He goes, you know, but you're a college coach. And Kelvin got surprised by that, you know, and it, later that year, his dad passed away. And, not, and shortly after that, the Houston Cougar job opened and he took the job and he was able to bring Kellen with him, who's a great kid, you know, former OU guy. And I asked Kelvin this last year, I said, why'd you take the Houston job? And he said, I needed something to fix. And what he was saying was the team was bad, but I think he needed to fix himself too. Mm-hmm. And so this is just an amazing story of redemption. And to your, to your question, man, because you two guys, you know, you two guys are football guys. I mean, these guys are warriors, man. These, I love watching them practice. And I'll say one last thing. If I, either one of my sons or any young coach said to me, I want to take a year off and learn how to be a college basketball coach, where should I go? I would tell him, go spend a year with the, with, the, with the Houston Cougars because Kelvin coaches intensity better than anybody. He, com- he coaches competitiveness better than anybody, and he does it in a humane way. You know, he's not MFing guys. He almost fe- you almost feel like you're letting him down if you don't give it 100%, and I'm happy for him, happy for the whole Samson family. You look at that matchup in the Final Four, Fran, between Houston and Baylor, I I think Houston can give them a game. I, I just don't know. Do you think Houston has enough offense with Grimes and Sasser and Giroux? Do you, do you think they can score with Baylor, or do you think they have to because of how they defend? I think they're going to have to make shots, and I think they're going to have to hope that Baylor goes 5 for 22. Um, but they're capable of making that happen. I think it's going to be a street fight. I do. I mean, the Baylor kids, they know they might not look like they, they might not look like tough guys. They're all very respectful. They're great on sound bites. You know, they're, they're praising the Lord, which I think is cool. But they're, they're street fighters, too. So I think I think it's going to be a fun matchup. And so many things going on here. Former AD that hired uh, Kelvin at Houston. Mac Rhodes is now at Baylor. Alvin Brooks, the senior uh who is a great player at Lamar. His son is the assistant. He's at Houston with Kelvin. His son is coaching at Baylor. The Brooks family's big in that area. I, we're going to have a great matchup. Second game, we'll talk about that. Not so much. First game, I think that's going to be a 
hand-to-hand combat. Well, I'll ask you about the second game. And I think Gonzaga, obviously, they got a chance to, to run the table undefeated. You know, I'm not a basketball guy, but it's I don't see a flaw anywhere on that team. And they're playing yeah. a UCLA team that, you know, a play-in team. But they look the part. They look athletic. They're playing well. They're scrappy. Yeah. Is there a point where everyone saying that you're going to win and that you're the best and that there's no way the other team can beat you? Does does being so good become a hindrance? I mean, it's it's we haven't seen yeah. anyone run the table. It does, is, am I just making something up here, or is that ever a thing? I think it's a thing. I think it's a thing, Teddy, mentally. But there's only there's one thing here. Um, Mark Few who is a, another good friend, is so down to earth and so unaffected by them being whatever their record is. I don't even know what their record is. We know they don't have a loss. He's so unaffected by it. He's so cool, calm, and collected. He's going fly fishing as soon as he gets back to Spokane on Tuesday. Okay, he, He's not going anywhere else. He's staying at Gonzaga. He's going to the Naismith Hall of Fame. That his team's the same way. And so they're not affected by any of the pressure that we would normally attest, uh, uh, think that they have. The, what has to happen, quite honestly, is you see, and it's happened. It's happened. I'm, I'm old enough to have seen it. Bill and Nova, Georgetown, 85, you know, comes to mind. Danny and the Miracles, 88. That team had 11 losses. That team lost to OU. So you guys don't remember this. That team lost to OU, that great OU team in 88 with, with uh, Mookie Blaylock, Stacey King, Seeger, three times before they met in the final game. So um, it can happen. It's, I just don't know if it's going to happen because UCLA is going to have to play over their head and, and Oklahoma, and uh, I almost said Oklahoma and Gonzaga is going to have to play really poorly. It, it would be akin. I'm trying to give you guys an example. I, I think the law, I'm trying to think of a team. It would be like Missouri state coming in and beating uh, a good Oklahoma football team. Wow. I know, I know, yeah. you know, I, I almost said army, but we saw what happened a couple of years ago when <laughs> right. too, but, soon, and, friend. too soon, <laughs> right. no, 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 no. But I, I think like that, that army team would remind me of a great Princeton team, right? Right. Where you could slow the game down. I don't think Oklahoma plays that way, but Oklahoma's going to have to play their a game and Gonzaga is going to have to be really off. Yeah. UCLA. It, it's a great story, right? I, I yes. Think- Mick Cronin has done a great job getting that team to the final four, right? First four to final four, that that's yeah. not easy. But yeah. Fran, when you look at the Gonzaga team, and this yeah. is kind of a discussion a lot of people are starting to have, they're 30 and 0 now. Uh, I think they've won something like 27 straight games by double digits or something ridiculous. Yeah. Are we not talking enough about them when it comes to being one of the great teams we've ever seen in college basketball. Is it just because this year has been so weird? Is, is that what it is? I think that's part of it. Um, I'm trying to put my arms around this, uh, Gabe, as to where they, where they rank if they do go undefeated. Obviously, they'll be the first team since Indiana in 1976 to be undefeated and win a national title. You have to give them their due. They're not beating Bill Walton's teams or, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's teams at UCLA. They're just not. Bill Russell, you know. So I would say that we could comfortably say they could be the best team of the last decade or two. If you want to, want to go back to 2000, 
go 20 years. I'm okay with that. I don't know that they're better. Like Kentucky in 1996 had nine NBA players. They were ridiculous as well. The only difference is those teams like Villanova in 2018, which blew away the tournament, right? And my, my younger son, Matt, is still there. He was a grad assistant on that team. That Villanova team that looked so unbeatable in the tournament had three losses in the Big East. So what would happen if Gonzaga were in the Big 12 this year, Big 10? I don't know, but I'm not going to shy away from saying they are a great basketball team, certainly at least in the last 25 years, one of the best teams we've seen. Well, UCLA, you mentioned how great their history is and some of those teams that they had through there. I think one of the things that frustrated some Oklahoma basketball fans is that we didn't build off of that Final Four with Buddy Hield and those guys. Yeah, uh, we didn't build off that very good. I mean, it was a yeah. good tight group that came up together. Right. It was like perfect yeah. timing, but yeah. after that, it's just kind of like, well, what happened? Is is there a chance <laughs> that UCLA can build on this this Final Four appearance and and, and try kind of get that thing reignited out there? Yeah. Now, first of all, you didn't build on it because Coach Kruger's not willing to go on NCAA probation. <laughs> I, that's, that's the truth. Which and, I, and it's funny. That's why, I, you know, it, there's a reason why all the same teams are missing from the tournament this year and what they've been going through. Well, and listen, let me tell you something. This is another thing you learn coaching basketball at a football school. Do it the right way because we do not need the NCAA snooping around everybody else, including football, mainly football. Not, And I'm just saying that not to make any – it's just that basketball is important at Oklahoma, but with Coach Kruger, you knew he had a good caretaker. They are going to always be competitive. I get it. I get it. You know, like they lost a kid to Kentucky this year because Kentucky hired Jay Lucas III as an assistant. They had a kid from East Texas, a big kid that was probably going to go to OU, and he went to Kentucky. What are you going to do, right? I mean, I'm not going to say my buddy Cal is doing anything illegal. So here's my point. Yes, UCLA will never, ever get it back to where it was, Teddy, but Mick Cronin now has got some credibility, and the reason they can be a top five 10 program every single year is because of Southern California high school basketball. You know, maybe three years ago, if Mick was doing this, Evan Mobley and his brother go to UCLA and not USC. So I think what Mick has brought there is what I was talking about with Texas earlier. Hey, when we die and go to heaven, St. Peter's going to say, Hey, uh, Teddy, it's really nice here. It's not Westwood, but it's nice. You know what I mean? Like it's not UCLA, but it's nice. And that place is unbelievable. So I do think Mick can get it going. But if you go to UCLA and play basketball, you're playing for a maniac who's going to push you and push you and push you. And it's not going to be a country club atmosphere. So I think they can get it going. Okay, friend, this kind of a big picture question. And who knows when the NBA will change the one and done rule and how that will affect everything. But how do you feel the level of play is in college basketball right now? Uh, do, do you think that the sport is in a good place from a talent standpoint, from a competition standpoint, like as someone that has been around the college basketball game for so long, what, what are, what do you think about the product right now? Okay. So first of all, the coaching got better this season because so many coaches during the pandemic Uh, in the spring and summer, finally had a chance. Most of their kids were home. They were trying to do the virtual workouts. And a lot of coaches 
got caught up on coaching basketball and technique and new, new ideas, NBA, European ideas, et cetera. So the coaching I thought was really good this year, better than I'd seen. There's no question the COVID virus affected college basketball negatively. You know, there were some really good teams this year, like Baylor, like St. Louis, who was an NCAA team. Some others that got hit hard by COVID, Gabe, and it affected the play. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. This year was pretty good. We have this new rule. It's probably going on in football with the, with the transfers. It, it's, it's crazy. It's complete free agency right now. It used to be if you weren't playing a lot of minutes on your team that you transferred. You want to play more. So if you left OU, you went to Missouri State, right? Or you went to Oral Roberts. No longer. Guys are starting and playing big minutes on good teams, and they're leading. Everybody wants to be an NBA player yesterday. So that worries me more than the talent drain. I don't think there's a talent drain. I just think that fans are going to be confused with all this moving around. Is it good for student athletes? Sure. Okay, it is. You know, freedom of movement, great. Is it good for the sport? I'm not so sure. Because, first of all, you guys played a sport that you two guys, the reason I respect you guys, and I saw both of you play, is that football is about dealing with adversity. You know what I mean? You get your head knocked, handed to you, you get up and you try to make another play. We got kids right now, I don't have a problem with them transferring. I have a problem with so many kids bailing out when they hit a little bit of adversity. And I think what, that's what the, this freedom of movement is going to be about, unfortunately. How hard is it as a coach? You, I, I mentioned the, the, the Final Four run Long Kruger had at OU with Buddy, Isaiah, those yeah. guys that came in together. They got better together. They're there for four years. A coach gets to like the, the real meat and potatoes of how he wants to run a program. Yes. And you develop that. The younger guys see the older guys doing it. How much does that change it whenever it's just transfer, 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 guys transfer in, guys transfer out? How do you build the program that way? Well, it's just starting, Teddy. We had a little bit of it this past year when the NCAA gave blanket waivers for so guys wouldn't have to sit out. Your question is what we're all asking because if you look at Baylor, right, very few guys transfer out. Guys transfer in and they, they buy in, they've redshirted. I'll give you two examples, and one of them is from Tulsa. Scott Drews had a transfer in who ended up being the sixth pick in the NBA draft, F.A. Udo, okay? And he had a guy that played four years for him, didn't start till he was a senior, and ended up the 12th pick in the draft, Torian Prince. He has seven guys on that roster this year that redshirted. Now, you guys know how important redshirting is in football. Think about seven guys in basketball having an extra year of practice. And you, we just, we're not going to see that as much anymore. And by the way, it's killed, it's killed Kentucky and Duke the last couple of years because they're taking these one-and-done guys, and if he's not named Zion Williamson and he's just another freshman, really good hot shot, and he can't win with those guys. Baylor's going to kick your ass. Villanova's going to kick your ass. Gonzaga's going to kick your ass. Virginia's going to kick your ass because they have older guys. And so I, to answer your question, we're in uncharted waters here going forward because it's going to be really hard to build a basketball program around guys that are going to stay for four years. Men. Some teams have men and some teams are playing 18 and 19 year olds. And exactly. Yeah. I'll take, 
I'll, I'll take the grown ass men in that scenario. <laughs> now, uh, Fran, yeah. before we let you go, man, Monday night, hopefully we get Gonzaga Baylor. It's the game yeah. that I know you and I have wanted to see all season right. long. Yeah. Who's cutting down the nets Monday <laughs> night when it's all said and done? Well, I think I said this to you earlier in the year. If they were playing seven games and Baylor hadn't hit the COVID pause, I think it would go seven. I do. And I think Gonzaga would win best of seven. I just think right now, um, I just, you know, I, I'm hoping Baylor, I love Kelvin, but I hope Baylor gets there. Um, and I hope it's Gonzaga. We've been waiting for it. And I just think the Zags are probably six to eight points better, if I had to guess. I'm not going to gamble on the game because that's foolish, but I just think the Zags are six to eight points better. But, but you know what? Um, that's why we're going to play it Monday night. We can't wait because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a monster game. Fran? It's always fun talking college hoops with we you. We learned man. a lot. We learned we've got an OU list of coaches. Now. <laughs> Absolutely, we did. <laughs> we've also with a with a side note that anyone on Kelvin Sampson's staff yeah. that's been there learning from him is is really good too. Hmm. Texas is a country club. Okay, <laughs> and, maybe your favorite line ever, Ted. And most refs are shitty. I think is is what most. I took from that. Most not <laughs> all inconsistent. In, not not big. Hey, not big twelve reps because I got to see those guys. <laughs> there you uh, go. Right, <laughs> hey, it's a pleasure, guys. Teddy, when we moved to Dallas, my boys, you know, Gabe knows this. My two sister in laws are OU grads. One brother in law grew up in UConn. The other grew up went to Norman High. When my boys came to Dallas, Highland Park, you know, yep. Hoity Toity Highland Park, and everybody was wearing burnt orange. My boys went, uh, they went crimson and cream. And even Matt Fraschilla, who played at Harvard and works at Villanova on a Saturday afternoon in the fall, he's got the game coming on. And uh, my that's boys awesome. bleed crimson. They bleed crimson. That's how, you, that's how you get some toughness wearing, the, you know, behind enemy lines every single day. You got to love it. That's just, that's, that's just good that's parenting. <laughs> that's good parenting. Hey, my, wife, my wife is waving at me. She's doing the golf swing because – our nephew Hudson Weibel committed to OU as an eighth grade golfer, and he'll be a freshman at OU uh, in the fall. So she's giving me the golf swing to make sure I mention. Well, Coach Hibble's got a hell of a squad, so he must number be one. good. They're they're number one right now, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he doesn't. It's the, the, the amount of people he recruits. You can count on one hand. That's that's pretty impressive. That's right awesome. There yeah, that's yeah. His his dad his dad was a golfer in the mid eighties. Mark Weibel from Yukon, Oklahoma. So shout out to him and the and the Weibel family. Well, there awesome. we go. Fran, okay. this was great, man. Thanks for joining us. And everyone, I notice this. I, I laugh every time I see it on your Twitter. Make sure you hit Fran up on Cameo. He's on Cameo. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, hey, baby. Hey, secret. James Frischilla. He gets he's getting all the revenue from that. Really? He, well, then def- OU fans, hit up Fran <laughs> on Cameo. <laughs> Gabe knows James is all about the side hustle. So <laughs> hey, cameo just got valued at like a billion dollars. They did a round man. of fun. And like they're, they're killing it. So I'm and sure listen, I'm, I'm 40 bucks a cameo. I'm cheap, man. I'm, you know, I'm good. Get Fran up people. All right, Fran. <laughs> thanks, great. man. All the best guys. All the best. Great being with you, man. I love Fran. I, I love me some Fran Fraschilla, Ted. That was awesome. Such a fun interview. Such good information. Um, he uh, knows. Uh, he knows stuff. Yeah. 
He wouldn't he tell does. us, but he knows. No, there's 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 really good information in there. I, I thought it was a, a couple of, you know, not to dwell on it, but a couple of really good points about like what the preparation's like in the tournament. Just fascinating stuff. And he's so fun and so easy to talk to. Yeah, he's the man. All right, let's get to our winners and losers of the week. But first, Marshall's here and the madness has officially begun. It's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. Select the winners from 63 tournament games in the MyBookie Bracket Contest for a chance at $10,000 in cash prizes, and it's only a dollar to enter. It doesn't matter whether you are filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props. MyBookie has you covered. Sign up today at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OKLAHOMA to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's promo code OKLAHOMA to claim your first deposit bonus. College ball, NBA, and NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, from tip-off to buzzer, MyBookie puts the action in your hands with in-game live betting. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And do not forget to contact our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers to get on the path to losing weight. Call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Nice. Okay, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? Jeopardy fans, Aaron Rodgers, April 6th. Here we go. He's going to start his guest. What? Jeopardy hosting. I cannot wait for this. Um, now, it's been a while since I've watched Jeopardy. The The schedule and mine don't exactly uh, match up, but I'm going to record some of these and see how Aaron Rodgers does. It's got to be kind of weird as a contestant, you know, with Trebek over there, you understand the delivery, how, how his kind of, um, how his mannerisms and everything are. It's going to be weird looking over there and seeing Aaron Rodgers and trying to get comfortable with how he reads stuff. I'll, I would probably be laughing at everything he said, because the way he speaks, it's hard to tell if he's joking or I don't know. I just think this is going to be fascinating. One of the best parts about Jeopardy was when Alex Trebek would subtly roast a contestant, right? Where he'd be like, oh, oh, no. Oh, like you, you give an answer that's so wrong. He's just like, oh, oh, no, that's that's not or right. roast all of them whenever he gives a, a, an answer and no one uh, chimes in and he reads it very sarcastically as everyone in the world should know the answer to this. I think, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be very good. I do too. At roasting the contestants, but 
he can't do it too much because then you look like a bully and what kind of facial hair is he going to have? That's also a big question. Mustache. Doesn't he usually clean up in the off season? And then as the season starts, that whole situation kind of develops to develop. (laughs) I don't know. I think he'll, he'll be good, right? He'll be good. As he long better as he be good or else people are going to roast him. That is not an easy job. It's not an easy job. And a lot of the stuff, like the pronunciation stuff, that we all know that Trebek was an absolute stickler for some of that stuff. Um, here's the thing. I think that he'll be totally prepared, which is the first thing. And I think that Aaron Rodgers is one of those people out there, athlete-wise, maybe one of the most – the guys out there that's most comfortable in his own skin. Uh, you know, kind of what you see is what you get with him. So I think he'll go out there. He'll be kind of – he'll be pretty calm about it and, and kind of deliver. I think he'll do good. I look forward to it. That takes place right during the middle of your radio show, right? Yeah. Hmm. It's going to be a DVR situation. I used to watch so much. The Eichard House was all about the Jeopardy. We had a Jeopardy video game at our house. Yeah. Like that's how into it we were. Okay. I used to watch it nonstop too. It was great so after school. Yep. Back when we were young and cared, man, nothing. Thunder. I, I know that we're getting to your loser of the week, Ted, but the thunder is so bad. First of all, it's changed to Bally sports, Oklahoma from Fox sports, <laughs> Oklahoma. There's a new, there's a new logo. It's confusing, but it the thunder are a little dirty with, they're the so bad at losing. They beat the Raptors tonight. So bad at losing. Like they just continued. I'm not mad about it. I like watching them win. I enjoy it. But man, there's just a whole lot going on with the new channel and everything. I think some people that have direct TV, it was blacked out for some reason. No one could figure it out. There's a new, there's new everything. And they should have hired me as coach. I could have easily lost every game. I don't, you know, they, they probably got too smart of a coach, too good of a coach. Dagnall. It's funny. Come on, man. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Loser of the week is all of the losers that have uh, made a racket out of attacking everyone in the sports world about how we shouldn't be playing, how we shouldn't have fans, how we shouldn't um, risk any of this stuff because uh, in maybe the only good thing he's ever done, Roger Goodell came out this week and said, we expect full stadiums this fall. We expect to see every one of our fans have the ability to come out and watch their teams play. Yes. Everyone's saying it. <laughs> Someone's just got to do it at some point, right? I And we know the NFL is going to be the one to do it. Yeah. Right? I mean. Zero rips given. But also, by the – by the time the NFL season rolls around, like if you want to be vaccinated, they'll all be vaccinated. You know, I and who knows how that whole thing's going to work out. But which is kind of a sidebar that you know the NFL is telling the players that because it, it sounds like there's been a whole lot of resistance to the vaccine from the players in the NFL, and the league is telling the guys that well there will be some more relaxed restrictions for those that do go and get vaccinated. So. Yeah, I saw something. I want to say it was on Twitter 
and it was, I want to say it was like the Washington Post or one of those papers. And my, my buddy sent it to me and it was like, they did some, they conducted some poll, right? And I'm not telling people how they should feel, but I guess the poll was like, okay, if you knew everyone was, everyone at a sporting event was vaccinated, would you feel comfortable going? And the results of this poll was said that like only like 69% of people would feel comfortable attending a sport sporting event where everyone was vaccinated. And I was so confused. I was like, what? I, I just didn't understand what the other 31% like if everyone's vaccinated, right? I thought that was the whole point. I thought we're good at that well, point. Right. Here's this is from, this is from the CDC. The, the vaccine does not keep you from getting it, doesn't keep you from passing it. It only is supposed to keep you from having a super adverse reaction to it. Now, that's what they've been saying. So, I don't know. But then Pfizer, and I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I, we read too much about this stuff exactly anyways. Exactly what it is, is it's a, a monstrous rabbit hole. Yeah. All right, we're we're, we're not going to go that. That's not uh, this podcast is not that type of podcast. <laughs> okay, my winner of the week. I thought about going ten. I don't know if you saw this, but I thought about going with Vanderbilt football players, which I know sounds really weird because they haven't been any good. But they've got Clark Lee, right, the defense coordinator from Notre Dame. Now there's their head coach, and they just announced that the school is investing $300 million in a project to improve the football and basketball facilities, and football is getting some big-time upgrades in that. I also thought about going with Lou Dort for letting Shea grab his arm. Now, people are saying he was holding his hand. I zoomed in on the picture because I'm a weirdo. He's actually – it's a forearm grasp, and – what a psycho move by Shea Gilgis Alexander. If you're scared of needles, you don't stare at the needle going into your arm. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a good idea. But Lou Dort's the man. He continues to be the man. Was there for his teammate, was there for his buddy. Gotta love it. Lou Dort. I'm surprised that whenever he grabbed his forearm, he didn't get some of his superpowers. And when they tried to jab him with that needle, it didn't just snap in half. Hey. Lou Dort can only do so much, okay? But my <laughs> hey, winner... Real quick, week. though. That Ooh. Vanderbilt deal, $300 million, uh, that's awesome for them cashing in because I'm telling you, the college arms race for facilities is over. I think it's, I think it's dead. With all this like name, image, image, and likeness stuff and how much money is going into the sport and the players not getting any of it, because we've already heard the, the, the calls for... Stop giving us stupid stuff like a, a recliner and a TV screen in my locker. I don't want that. I just want the cash, dude. Yeah, you know, give me so the cash, bro. This, I think, this is going to be one of the last big type of uh, facility upgrades we see like that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good. Point. It could be more like the NFL, right? Where you walk in and you go, "Yeah, we got everything we need. This will do." Like it's not going to blow you away. Cafeteria check. You got food here. Okay. Yep. All right. We're good. Okay. But my winner, I guess it'd be winners of the week is the athletic freaks because some of these pro day performances are just ridiculous. Ted, you look what Jamar chase four, three, eight, 40, 41 inch vert 
Kyle Pitts ran a 444 at 246 pounds, and he was zigging and zagging like he was drunk. My man could not run in a straight line, but was just he ran a 45 full. in a 4.44. It was he was flying. <laughs> Justin Fields runs a 444, and I had some really impressive throws. I think he got people talking again for some reason. He's kind of out outside of you know the elite quarterback discussion in this class now for whatever reason i'm not really sure but man he looks good physically he had a hell of a pro day then you got a guy like marco wilson who maybe a lot of people don't know but he's a corner for florida ran a 437 had a 43 and a half inch vert i mean what these guys sometimes i forget just how gifted some of these guys are athletically in this week, Ted, it was, it was a good reminder of just how freaky some of these dudes are. Because, you didn't even damn. list the, uh, the 40 that Cosby ran, uh, Texas four, eight. Do we, do you want to go down that rabbit hole? No, we can go just... to he, okay. If you run four, eight and he benched 36, 36 reps, yeah and had a really good short shuttle and a really good three cone. Why wasn't he better? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't want to hear about his arm length. When you're that athletic, and maybe – why didn't they put him in space more? Why weren't they running pin-pull stuff with him out on the edge like you see people do with the athletic tackles? Herman's offense is – this is the problem with Texas's offense uh, under Tom Herman. It's it's a it's all it's same thing as it was at Ohio State. Everything's done through the quarterback, quarterback run, uh, easy throws. They don't build any type of of uh, exterior running game. It was Greg Ward Jr. Same thing at Houston whenever he was there. It was the same thing with Sam Ellinger. They don't have any type of traditional run game. Uh, the pass game is all just empty concepts where there's the threat of the quarterback run. It's just a it's a very vanilla offense and not a very good offense to showcase a tackle. Sam Cosme should be furious. Should yeah. be furious. He should, I mean, they should have been running outside zone to his side. They should have been running pin pull schemes where he could get out there, block alley defenders, block DBs. Should have had him involved in the screen game. He had no idea he was that athletic. Ridiculous. Tom Herman. Okay. My loser of the week. Uh, Thought about going with that ref that didn't call the foul at the end of the Baylor UConn women's game. We talked to Fran about it. Like that's just how oh, you missed well, that. Go one. With the whole group. I mean, they're all out there. You know, it's. I I thought about going with NFL players because, as we expected, the owners approved expanding the regular season to seventeen games. Uh, they are not happy. That's uh, yikes. It's so dumb. When has everyone gotten to the end of the NFL season and said, boy, if we just had one more game, we'd really be able to separate who needs to make the playoffs and who doesn't. You I mean, know, we all know we it's need, a money grab, but you, you know what we need one more NFL game to change the math that people have known for forever. So now it's very confusing for all of us. Plus all the records and everything change. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be asterisks everywhere. It's annoying. I don't know why they did it. Oh yes, I do. Because they're going to make more money. Huh. Interesting. I even thought about going with the NCA, Ted, because I, I, it didn't seem like the whole 
thing with the Supreme Court was very fun for them at all. That didn't look enjoyable. But my loser, no, I'll say my losers of the week because I'm sure there were multiple. I'm sure there's multiple of them out there right now, Ted. People that like telling kids, high school kids, let's say, that they are too small to play in the NFL. Because the Seattle Seahawks gave my man Tyler Lockett a four-year, $69.2 million contract extension. That includes $37 million guaranteed. This comes after a $31.8 million extension he signed back in 2018. He has been spectacular for Russell Wilson. He absolutely carved our ass up when he was playing at K-State. He is the pride of Booker T. Washington High School, and he is making all the people that said he was too small back in the day eat their stupid words. He may only be 5'10", Teddy, but that man's production is massive, and so is my man's bank account. Let's go, Tyler Lockett. That's awesome, man. He's such a damn good player. Great player. uh, Great history of players going through that K-State program. He's been fun to watch. That is weird that this contract and the last contract equal up exactly to $100 million. Uh, Pretty fascinating there, but he's been great. And we've seen, you know, through Oklahoma, some of our best wide receivers of all time kind of fit a similar type of of, uh, stature. You know, we've had Ryan Broyles wasn't a huge guy. Mark Clayton wasn't a huge guy. We've seen... Marquise Brown, uh, you know, first round pick. So, yeah, I, I would say it's way more accepted now, maybe than it's ever been, especially at that position. Tyler Lockett, big Thunder fan. He's probably just as confused as we are. They just keep winning. By the way, the Thunder had, I think it just said, I was looking at the graphic in the post game coverage. First of all, this loss, or excuse me. It's a win for the Thunder, but really a loss when you think about it. It's Svee's fault again. He had 22 points. Svee, calm down. Calm down, Svee. But uh, the Thunder had 64 rebounds tonight, which maybe I they should. That's an unreal number. You remember in Major League, whenever uh, the ladies, they're trying to get him to lose all the games and they keep winning. And oh, gosh, what's the guy's name? the GM, uh, she's asking what they need to do. And he's like, how about instituting a series of fines uh, for good play? Maybe that's what they need to start doing for the Thunder. Start fining guys whenever they go for 22. Spee's going to be broke, man. <laughs> Spee. God, he's balling, though. It's kind of, it, it is fun to watch. All right. On that note, episode 99 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Till next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.